This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing? Pretty well. How are you? Doing okay. Uh, I know every now... For a while, all of our episodes were talking about the weather, and now I feel like all of our episodes are talking about how little time I have left in school. So, (laughs) (laughs) whatever. In this case, uh, we have 17 and a half days of school left. I think that's right. It's two and a half weeks, so... The and days. the weather was beautiful today. The weather was in New York, so uh, it was cooler for us this weekend. We have we've had some rain, but uh, it's it's Texas nice. is getting drowned right now. Yeah, yeah I, I like the cooler rather than the hotter. <laughs> so now you are updated on all of our school and weather. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's move into the office. But before we do that, we have a few emails from Sarah, Josh, and Leslie. So thank you all for reaching out. And we also had a couple of people reach out and explain to us one of the jokes from, I think it was a deleted scene uh, for Gettysburg yeah. episode. And uh, it was Andy making a checklist and he said, hottest European girls, check. And we didn't get it. We were like, what's the context here? What? what, Huh? <laughs> and so we had a few people reach out and tell us he's making a checklist. The joke is that the hottest European girls are from Czech, the Czech Republic. So it just went over both of our heads, apparently. I wouldn't have gotten that. And then (laughs) as soon as I heard it, I was like, ah, I should have gotten that. But no, I wouldn't have. But it's a pretty funny joke. I mean, it's it went over my head, but, you know, kind of niche. Otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, let's go ahead and go into our episode. We have Mrs. California up first. It aired on December 1st of 2011, was directed by Charlie Grundy and written by Dan Greeny. Robert demands that Andy not give his wife, Susan, a job at Dunder Mifflin Scranton, which sounds easy enough to do if Robert wasn't making it so difficult for him. Andy spends the whole day denying Susan a job, though Robert demands that he hire her. Meanwhile, Dwight opens a gym in Dunder Mifflin's building that is exactly as weird as you'd imagine. The first thing I wanted to point out is that Robert introduces his wife as Mrs. Robert California rather than using, you know, her name. Uh, I don't know what that says about them or about him, maybe. Beyond that, there's nothing wrong with his aversion to working with his wife. But the the problem that arises in the episode is that he's so cagey about it and he can't give anybody a straight answer over what he does or doesn't want. He tells Andy, under no circumstances should it be allowed to happen that she gets a job working here. But then later, he so convincingly convinces Andy to exactly the opposite. So. The, the problem is that Robert's just not being honest with anybody here. And he runs into the office, first bit of the episode, almost panicked. You must not give her a job. It's, it's as if it's life and death. I mean, he, I don't think we've ever seen him that flustered and that heated. And um, under no circumstances may she work here. Why? I mean, it would be, it, it could be bad if you don't want to work with your wife and now she's working with you, but it seems extremely urgent. and weird the the first problem he had was that he told his wife elsewhere that she could have a job here and then he says to andy that can't happen and later he says to andy you've got to find a way to do this to make this happen and it just goes back and forth back and forth he he could have given her whatever excuse he wanted to keep her from working there he could blame it on andy he could blame it on the office workers he could blame it on any anything and not have it be about him uh, but he he does not take advantage of that. 
And so he, he's trying to put up this fantasy of trying everything possible. I've tried my darndest wife in order to get you what you want, a job at Dunder Mifflin Scranton. But then after he's gotten what he wanted, which was to not have her hired, and she said, okay, well, it sounds like there's not a fit for me here. He presses Andy further and further and further. And I don't, I just don't know like what the issue is here. Is he scared of her? We had that quote previously where he said, I'm never uncomfortable. Well, something here is making him pretty uncomfortable. And that, yeah, it's just a big what is happening kind of scenario. So briefly, she is hired. Robert convinces Andy, who's extremely uncomfortable, uh, to hire her because he's doing all of this in front of Susan and Andy doesn't know what to say. So, okay, sure, you can have a job. And by the way, we're fully staffed and don't know where to put you. But yeah, you have experience in accounting, so let's make you an accountant. They squeeze her onto Kevin's desk rather than giving her an empty one. Uh, Aaron gives her a miniature stapler rather than a full one. They're just making her as uncomfortable as possible. And everyone's being distant to her and, and kind of rude. And I don't think anybody really wants to do that. She's lovely. She's qualified. She's a nice person and um, doesn't seem like Robert's wife at all. She's she's pleasant. And they have to kind of haze her because Andy said so, because Robert said so. It's It's all very, no one has any idea what they're doing, but they have to do it. That leads me to Andy a little bit because... I mean, poor guy, he's still trying to do whatever he can to please Robert. And so he does. But then when Robert's fantasy thing goes too far, he gets confused and does the opposite of pleasing Robert. And then he's confronted by both of them at different points in the episode. And it's all because Robert was being so cryptic in the first place. And after he does accidentally hire her and he is told by Robert to undo this, undo it, uh, he goes to the rest of the office and he says, you have to be mean to her. And this is not me asking this is an order and so this is the kind of thing that could undo a lot of his hard work to win over his employees because being a boss isn't about tyranny and making people do what you want them to do it's about leading and about inspiration at least it should be and andy has been doing a fairly good job of that yes last episode we talked about him maybe trying to do too much of that but this is just undoing some of those nice things that he he has done for his coworkers and inspiring them and convincing him that he's going to be a worthwhile person to to work for and then eventually susan kind of catches on i mean she's been aware that it's been weird but she eventually talks to robert she says that the employees are not taking to her and robert acts as if this is unacceptable and he calls a meeting between her and Andy and then he leaves. Robert leaves. So first Susan asks Andy if it's Andy that doesn't want him there and he admits that that's not exactly the case. He can't say what the truth is but he's not saying that. It's at this point that Susan guesses what's going on. She says that her husband can be a very difficult man to read and when Andy agrees she asks if Robert is mixed up in this. When Andy can't answer she has her answer. So when Robert comes back, Susan is upset with him and tells him that she won't be working there anymore. And Andy has some information that he felt he was unable to share. And Robert thanks Andy for trying to protect their privacy between spouses, but demands that he's honest with them both. So Andy has to really uncomfortably tell them what Robert said first thing this morning. And Robert just blatantly lies and says, I didn't say that. You're a liar. And makes Andy tell Susan that it was Andy lying. And now... (laughs) 
Andy's just so uncomfortable. He doesn't know he likes Susan, but he works for Robert. Susan hasn't made him uncomfortable all day, and he wants to be honest with her, but she's not his boss. So he's just torn. And he eventually um, tries to rope Jim into this because Jim witnessed Robert's odd behavior this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and Jim, you know, aside from the, the caginess of him getting between Robert and his wife, and he's trying to avoid it as much as possible, when it comes down to it and he's, he's captured, we'll talk about him running away later, I'm sure, he gives some really great advice. And it's basically the same thing that he did with Pam's dad way back several seasons ago when he said, you know, this is how much I love Pam and this is how I feel when Pam enters the room and stuff like that. He says, you know, for what it's worth, I love working with my wife. She literally makes me work harder. And Robert at this point sort of was like, well, I guess that's the issue here. I don't feel that way. And Mrs. California is like, yep, that's the issue here. We don't want this. And so Robert lets him go. Andy looks a little jealous that he's so easily able to escape. But uh, they, they meaning Mr. and Mrs. California, they end up leaving separately at the end of the day. But not before there's one last strange moment between Mrs. California and Andy. Uh, Susan says, you know, we did hit it off, maybe under different circumstances and all that. And Andy says, maybe. She says, maybe after all the dust on the settles. And he says, okay, yeah, maybe. And Andy's clearly not getting what she's saying. She says, okay, then it's a date. So he just maybe agreed to a date with Susan California or Susan, whatever her maiden name ends up being, if they do end up getting a divorce. So that's one last way to make Andy feel really awkward at the end of the episode with the possibility of maybe dating his current boss's new ex-wife while still working for his current boss. Who knows what's going to happen? As far as we know, this is just a fight. We don't know if there's any separation happening. So it's very much just his boss's wife. <laughs> and I feel like Andy is, I mean, of course, he's in such a difficult position this entire episode. And he has nothing but nice feelings towards Susan, except she has made him uncomfortable inadvertently all day long. <laughs> and now she asks him out and it's just, oh, oh, and he's dating somebody. And mm -hmm. it's all just uncomfortable. <laughs> so poor Andy. He, uh, he didn't deserve this today. The other thing that happens story-wise in this episode is Dwight has come up with a new way to make money as the building owner. He has created Dwight Schrute's Gym for Muscles. <laughs> and at first, it sort of looks like his daily routine at the farm or stuff that he would do around the farm. There's gravel buckets that he, he's squatting. There's a designated tin cutting station. There's a phone book ripping station. There's a wood block to chop wood on with an axe. Dwight brings Daryl in, and Daryl's like, listen, this is not a gym. You know how gyms work, and I'm not going to pay money for this. And so Dwight does make a pretty sizable investment in actual gym equipment and is able to get Daryl and others to participate. And Daryl comes in and kind of half-heartedly exercises while looking at his phone. He says, you know, I'm, st I'm starting slow. I'm going to be here five days a week. I'll start slow. And Dwight is not going to let that happen. He's going to push him much harder. So Daryl is lifting weights and is asking for Dwight's help, spotting him. But Dwight won't do it until Daryl tells him his motivation. Why do you want to work out? Why do you want to look good? Why do you want to be healthy? And we learn officially that Daryl likes Val. He wants to look good for Val. Dwight, of course, thinks it's Val Kilmer, but still. <laughs> uh, it's official. Daryl wants Val and he wants to impress her and look good for her. So that's the whole reason that he's joining this crazy 
Dwight Jim in the first place. It's interesting because when he admits to this, Gabe is actually working out right behind him. And we saw that Gabe was interested in Val as well. So I don't know if he just didn't know that or if Gabe has moved on or whatever, but I just thought it was an interesting thing to point out. Mm. Well, that's all the character stuff. Let's go ahead and go into the funny moments, starting with the cold open, which is a really good cold open. Dwight has bought himself a standing desk, and it doesn't look to be one of those standing desks that's adjustable where you can lower it up or, or lower it up, or you can raise it up or lower it down depending on whether you want to be sitting or standing at the time. It's just a permanently standing desk. He has a talking head. He says, standing is proven to be healthier, increases productivity, and just looks cooler. Picture someone doing something heroic. Now, was he sitting or standing? And he gets this look on his face, not counting FDR, who <laughs> 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 was, of course, wheelchair bound. And so Dwight turns it into this big deal. He, he says he's demeaning everybody else for sitting down when you should be standing. He says, every second you sit, there is an hour off your life. Look at all of you. I feel like you're in a suicide cult. <laughs> Creed says, you're way off on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim, seeing his opportunity, says, hey, Dwight, okay, you're so much better than us. I agree. And everybody, listen, he's never, ever going to sit down again. Isn't that right? Dwight says, uh, yeah, that, that's right, Jim. So the whole rest of the cold open is Dwight trying to find relief in sitting down and being caught otherwise. He, he's tries to grab a seat in the break room and Daryl finds him. So he stands right back up. And then at his desk, Jim walks up and sees Dwight is in a much happier mood than he was previously. He doesn't seem to be under so much physical stress. And he looks down and there is a pole that is going down through <laughs> Dwight's left pant leg. And Jim, this is my favorite part of this, I think, he grabs Dwight's wallet and he takes out the money and he just throws it on the ground and says, prank. <laughs> prank, there prank. it is. It's that simple. <laughs> and Dwight says, oh, that's real creative. And Jim says, you know what? It's not my best because you could easily just bend over and pick it up, right? And Dwight then realizes that he's caught. He says, I could, but I just don't feel like it, loser. Jim says, because you're sitting, standing. Okay. Jim says, you know, I have to do this. Dwight says, I know. <laughs> and so Jim pushes him over. That's the cold open. I like Dwight's, I know, you have to do this. You, you've earned yeah. this. <laughs> I know you have to claim your prize and knock me over. I know. <laughs> he accepts his fate. He's playing fair. Other funny moments. Ryan, we get a very small, it, it's like the end of a conversation when it, it's cutting over, I think, to Robert California. But what we hear Ryan ending as he's saying, that's why my foundation, the dream for a wish foundation, is going to put them out of business. They're not going to know what hit them. Is Ryan trying to put make a wish out of business? <laughs> uh, that doesn't sound like, like a, <laughs> a crappy dude. Daryl reveals all of his motivation for working out, or at least his starting motivation. He says, I've been meaning to join a gym for my health. I used to say I wanted to live long enough to see a black president. I didn't realize how easy that would be. So now I want to live long enough to see a really, really gay president or a supermodel president. <laughs> I want to see all the different kinds of presidents. And of course, while he's saying this, there's sort of a little montage of him and Val hanging out together, clips of them together. Uh, so we know the real motivation, but to Daryl, to the audience, he just wants to see all the different kinds of presidents. <laughs> Another Ryan one and apologies if you're sensitive to language, but it, I have to say it. Susan, being super lovely, uh, had just met Ryan and she said, oh, it was really nice to meet you, Brian. And Ryan to her face says, oh, actually, Ryan. Susan says, oh, Ryan, sorry. We cut to a Ryan talking head. He just goes, bitch. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> Big, long, drawn-out curse. <laughs> like, I think it was unintentional, and otherwise she's very nice, so you can calm yeah, down. <laughs> yeah, chill out. <laughs> Dwight gives his reason for starting a gym. He says, obese people in my office are a drain on resources. Chairs wear out faster. It takes more Freon to keep them cool. They flush the toilets more often. Plus, their massive BMs bust the rivets on my pipes. But a gym turns fat into cash. I don't know what Dwight's vendetta against larger people is recently, but this is not the first time he sort of even turned on Daryl. I don't remember how recently it was. It was just a couple episodes. But Daryl went to the snack machine, the vending machine, yeah. and Dwight said something about, oh, yeah, you need to get a snack. You really deserve something to eat right now or something like that. And he was chowing down on carrots, I think. Yeah. So I, I'm forgetting the context, but I, I remember the scene. Cause yeah. Was cruel. Yeah, it was very recent. And it was just like out of nowhere, Dwight was fat shaming. And here he's doing more of it. Well, and then speaking of which, we get it again, Dwight to Daryl. Not the point of his chastising, but he brought it up nonetheless. When he's getting on to Daryl about his work ethic at the gym, when he's trying to get his motivation out of him, he says, is that the same philosophy you apply to buffalo wings? I want you to bring that same buffalo wing passion to this gym. I'm going to make you look like LeBron James. And Daryl said... It's LeJohn Brames. <laughs> That's what I said. That's what I said. <laughs> I like how he's so easily convinced otherwise. LeJohn. <laughs> Andy is giving Susan a tour of the office, and he goes up to Jim and is counting on Jim to make it sound like it's not a great place to work or that sales specifically is difficult. And Jim says, well, it's sales, so you have to be able to live in the world of rejection. Dwight says, maybe you do. Hi, I'm Dwight. Sales is really not so hard, okay? It's paper. We have it, and they want it so bad, they're willing to pay for it. Jim says, well, it's not that easy. It's kind of sometimes difficult. Dwight says, it's the second easiest job in the world. And he turns to the camera, being a mom. Ouch. <laughs> Happy <Yikes>. Mother's Day, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, just in time. There was, oh, well, speaking of, of Mother's Day, there's this whole scene with Andy on the phone to Robert California. This is just after Andy had to hire Susan. And so Andy and Susan are in his office and Robert calls Andy on the phone and makes him pretend that he's on the phone with his grandmother. So Andy isn't following directions. Robert says, say hello, grandma. Andy says, hi, Gam Gam. Robert says, hold one finger up to Susan. You'll be just a second. This is very reminiscent of like being held hostage. Like you have to do exactly what they say. And then Robert starts chastising him. You were given a simple task. I could not have been more clear with you. Why did you hire her? And he asks him to, or tells him to say to his, quote, grandmother, are you taking your medicine? And he says, are you taking your med meds? <laughs> Robert says, why can't you say exactly what I tell you? Undo this, undo it. Robert hangs up the phone. So Andy hangs up the phone. And Susan says, you didn't say goodbye to your grandma. And he says, we promised we'd never say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And it was just so quick that he was very quick on his feet to think that. <laughs> Dwight has been trying to convince other people to join the gym and nobody's interested. Kelly says, I have these new sneakers, which are basically a gym for your feet. And then she walks off eating a chocolate bar. <laughs> and then Dwight has a talking head. He says, that's okay. I know how to build a business. You got to get the black people to do it to get the white people to do it. Then you got to get the black people to stop doing it one step at a time. Yikes, Dwight. Yikes. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> so there's that whole Jim. I, I can't really call it a storyline. When Andy tries to rope Jim into talking to Robert and Susan about what Robert said to Andy, 
they're in the conference room having this meeting and Jim overhears from his desk. Oh, well, I'll just ask Jim. Jim heard. And we just see Jim like hit the floor and just crawl out of the office, hoping not to be seen. And Robert catches this and makes Andy call Hank security. Make sure no one comes in or out. We see Jim in his car trying to leave and he's just cut off by Hank. He says, oh, no, let me just, let me just, and Hank doesn't let him out. And so Jim bails on his car, leaves it running, doors open, just bolts behind the building. Um, Next, we see him, I think, trying to climb the ladder up to the roof. When he gets to the roof, well, first he loses a shoe on the way there, but he can't afford to go back. So he just goes uh, with one shoe and he finds Creed on the roof, who's flying a drone helicopter. Of course, Jim tells him, I was never here. And Creed says, okay, but what about your friend? (laughs) Okay. And he, where does he go? He. Well, that's when he goes down the stairs and yeah, waiting for him. Right. And he tries to climb back up, but they grab him and pull him down. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> he's desperate to not be in this meeting. After Andy has recruited everybody to be mean to Susan in order to sort of drive her off, uh, she's sharing a desk with Kevin, as you mentioned. She says, do you think it would be possible to move to that desk over there, which is Andy's old desk? Uh, she says, because this seems a bit cramped and I don't have a computer. Aaron says, well, you know, that's a sales desk. And she's given this tiny stapler to Susan as well. Then Kevin says, yeah, you need to be over here with us accountants. Just sit here and be quiet. And if you have a question, just raise your hand. But I'm going to save you some time, sweetie, and give you the answer now. I don't know. <laughs> Which is a very <laughs> Kevin answer. I'm glad he's true to himself and telling her, yeah, yeah the answer is going to be, I don't know. The answer is not no or shut it or something rude. It's that I don't know the answer. So he's kind of putting himself down at the same time. To me, it sounds like he's going to say, I don't care. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that, then, that would work too. <laughs> but he's more honest with himself. And Jim's response to being mean to Susan, he's the only one who isn't. He says, no, I don't think we should be trying to make this place seem unpleasant. I think we should just let this place just crush her spirit by itself. I mean, it knows what it's doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's done it to all of us. Yeah, it sort of goes back to his uh, very first talking head in episode one of the, you know, in the pilot where he says, uh, well, I don't remember exactly what he says. Goodness. My job is to speak to clients on the phone about quantities and type of copier paper and whether we can supply it to them, whether we can, they can pay for it. And I'm boring myself just talking about this. <laughs> it's the same sort of speech. He was crushed on episode one already. Mm-hmm. My last one uh, relates to Dwight getting confused about who Val is. He tells Daryl, you know what? I'm going to make you the buffest dude Val Kilmer has ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> We're so proud of you. We do have a few deleted scenes as well. There's a Andy talking head. He says, so Roberto California doesn't want to work with his wife. I get it. And he wants to give his wife a job. Totally get it. What I am struggling with is the part of this that's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) And then it cuts to Robert California in a talking head. And he just goes, I love my wife. He just sort of broods (laughs) over that for a second. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That's the whole talking head. There's a Jim talking head uh, where he's. Very uncomfortable. Again, he does not want to be in the middle of this. He says, the whole thing's making me very uncomfortable. I'm not getting between the boss and his wife to just ask me about something else. You know, Stanley's tie is really the story of the day. And we cut to Stanley with a bright blue silky tie and deadpan. He just says, it's my birthday. 
<laughs> he wears the fancy tie. Yeah, and it sort of looks like a fish. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like a, a weird, weird tie. Gabe at the gym says, they say that if you can strengthen your core, it improves your sexual performance. So you will find me on the ab blaster, and then you'll find me blasting um, a very nice young woman. <laughs> I mean, at least he catches himself and tries to be respectful about it. <laughs> Another Jim trying to hide from Robert California. This is great. Yeah. He says, luckily, we have a two-part plan. One, run. Two, hide. It's pretty smart, right? So he is, he has run. Now he hides. So he walks into Vance Refrigeration. And Jim sees the secretary and he says, hi, how you doing? I'm Jim Halpert from across the hall. We are redoing our supply closet. And I was wondering if I could take a look at some of your ideas. You know, your supply closet ideas. That's a thing. Mm -hmm. Bob's secretary says, let me just check with Bob. Jim says, you absolutely should. He said it was okay. So till you get him, I'll just be in there. And he closes the supply closet behind him. And of course, the secretary tells Bob on the phone where Jim is. And then we see Andy looking for Jim in the closet. But a ceiling tile is a jar. He has crawled out through probably like the AC duct or something. And yeah, this guy, I don't think we've ever seen him so nervous to get out of something, except for maybe Dwight's snowman prank. Mm -hmm. That's the only other time I think we've seen him as frazzled. And you know he doesn't like to be frazzled. Yeah. <laughs> Meredith is working out in the gym. She says, I got to get in shape. I'm going to do an Ironman next month. And I want him to be attracted to me. <laughs> <laughs> That was, I, that was impressive for Meredith. I, uh, I liked that joke. If it's going to be gross, it's pretty funny. And then Aaron, last, last deleted scene, Aaron is sweaty from working out. It's caught on. A lot of people in the, in the office now are using the gym. And Aaron asks where the shower is. Everyone gets very angry with Dwight when he says that there is no shower and everyone's just really gross and disgusting for the rest of the day. They're all sweating through all their work clothes. Yeah, Andy walks by the corner of accounting where Meredith is over here and Oscar's over here and Kathy's over here at the desk clump. And so they're all, it's like a triangle and he's standing in the middle of it, just making a face and fanning the air. Uh, there was one more short deleted scene, uh, just to mention all of them. Gabe is doing squats and Dwight comes up and says, hey, what are you listening to? Gabe says, Steve Martin. And he starts to laugh at a joke and he falls over while he's holding <laughs> this heavy weight, just sort of collapses on him. That's right. I forgot about that one. Discussion topic for this episode. I was just curious, what do you think Robert and Susan's home life is like? Like, do you think there's actually love <laughs> there? Because maybe slight spoiler for the future episode, the episode we're about to talk about. So it's not a real spoiler because hopefully everybody's already watched. But they split up. Like, maybe not full divorce yet, but they're not together anymore. And Robert says a couple times that he's heartbroken. So he has some sort of feelings for her even if those feelings didn't extend to wanting to work with her. So I was just curious, what do you think home life with the Californias is like? I feel like it's, I don't know how to put this, like scary attraction. I feel like they're very like, it's a power struggle relationship. Aggressively sexual. Aggressively, like sexual tension <laughs> always. Um, very tense all the time. And they probably like that, and that's what gets them through it. Um, I don't know. I don't want to get into that. But very tense. I don't know about love. I mean, we haven't seen her except for this one episode. So, I mean, I would like to think that they're in love. But the fact that Robert sprinted up the stairs ahead of his wife to uh, beg Andy not to hire her. I mean, 
even if you would prefer not to work with your spouse, you should be able to, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a healthy relationship to me at all. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have any sort of notion of what it would be like for them. I sort of imagine just sitting around reading, like super intellectual, both of them. And then maybe the other side of that coin would be the super sexual side where it's like a power dynamic struggle. Because even though in a lot of ways, she seems very different than Robert, like she doesn't have this sort of weird, intense sexual or not sexual, weird, intense staring into your soul vibe that Robert has. Uh, She did seem to be on the same sort of intellectual level and the same uh, intensity level in a different way. But she Mm -hmm. was also very likable. So I don't know. I I just I was curious what your thoughts would be. Yeah. So. Well, moving into our next episode, Christmas Wishes. It aired December 8th, 2011, directed by Ed Helms and written by Mindy Kaling. In this season's Christmas episode, Andy has decided to become the office Santa who grants everyone's Christmas wishes. Robert, who has recently split up with his wife, attends, as does Andy's super serious girlfriend, Jessica, much to the dismay of Aaron. The typical Christmas drama is present as always, and we can talk about the rest of it. (laughs) Yeah. Andy and Aaron, yes. As you said, Jessica, Andy's girlfriend, is coming to the Christmas party, and Aaron is being overly super, super welcoming of Jessica. Of... I want to say the new girlfriend, because we haven't met her, but she's not that new. They've been dating quite a while. And Erin's definitely nervous, and she's uncomfortable, but she's countering that by being just so sweet and so welcoming and too welcoming, and oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. We hug. We're not, we don't shake hands. We hug. Uh, because we're friends. She's just forcing herself to be okay with it, and she's very clearly not. She puts on this act, and when Jessica first shows up, she gives her a big hug and says, we hug in this office, and oh, I was so excited that you're here. I'm so happy for both of you. And it's clear that she's in a lot of pain. But when the party gets going, Robert introduces her to alcohol. I'm guessing it's for the first time. Um, I'm trying to think it would of other... seem like it. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to think of other instances when she would have possibly had something to drink. But this is the first time I can remember it. And maybe something that confirms that it's her first drink ever is the look that Andy has on his face when he sees her from across the room taking her first shot. It's almost like, oh, wow, I know for a fact because of our relationship prior that she's never had a drink. So I'm concerned now that she's turning to it. I don't know. But uh, in any case, she goes in hard. It's like she's finally found a way to maybe muffle at least a little bit the feelings that have been driving her crazy about Andy and about Jessica and all that kind of stuff. Quick aside, it reminds me of the first episode of Kimmy Schmidt. (laughs) <laughs> when Kimmy is at the bar and she's having her first drink and she she takes a drink and she makes a face and she goes, ugh, alcohol tastes good. I like it. Fake <laughs> <laughs> it. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, after she gets past the buzzed part of being drunk, just like the the light, happy feeling that sort of makes her feel better, she gets to straight up super drunk pretty quickly because of how quickly she's going through these drinks. And it leads to just darker places and she eventually tells Andy that her Christmas wish is that Jessica would be dead and that is definitely past the line for Andy and he tells her so. He yells at her publicly, the party stops and listens to them and it's really tense and luckily Jessica didn't hear this but it's not okay. She also earlier in the episode had a weird moment with Andy When Andy asks her how many drinks she's had and suggests that she takes a break, 
Aaron suggests to Andy that he might his own business. And then she says, just kidding, but she's clearly not kidding. Later, Andy, after he blew up at her, probably rightfully so, he's talking with Jim. And he wonders out loud if he and Aaron can stay friends. This might be it for him. They dated, it ended, and it's not going well. And they tried the friend thing, they tried to stay friends, and it's clearly not going well. More so for her, it seems like. Andy's doing okay at the whole friends after dating thing. And Aaron doesn't seem to be able to handle it. Aaron clearly needs a ride home, so Robert is the one to give it to her. Andy says that he's very thankful, but in reality, he's very nervous. I mean, Robert is in the middle of breaking up with his wife, and he seems to have taken an interest in Aaron. In fact, he's the one that kind of pushed her to start drinking that night in the first place. He's so nervous that when he's driving Meredith to her house, which is part of the Christmas wish fulfillment, he follows Robert. and watches him drop Aaron off at her house, and he's very, very pleased when Aaron doesn't kiss Robert goodnight or make any sort of pass at Robert. So he's, it may not be feelings, quote unquote, but he's feeling something that Aaron isn't moving on. Yeah, despite loving that Jessica is there, and despite that he's probably very happy in a relationship with her, the whole night he's sort of keeping a watchful, concerned eye over Aaron. Uh, which I think is really great. I love seeing him trying to get her to slow down on the drinks or maybe to have something to eat. Um, even though Jessica is there, he's not afraid to show that he does care about Aaron in, or in at least a platonic way right now because Jessica does know that they dated. And Jessica, to her credit, seems kind of okay with him sort of tending after her as well. They're, they're talking about, oh, that's the girl you used to date? Yeah, she's not normally like this. Here, excuse me so I can go say something to her. Uh, she Jessica doesn't like protest or make a face or anything like that, or at least not what I saw. Um, and even when Aaron goes past the line and Andy rightfully stands up for his girlfriend and sort of shuts off communication with Aaron for the night, the fact that he goes to her house to make sure that everything's okay and that Robert doesn't try something creepy on her says still, I care about this person. Yeah. She said something that upset me and that she shouldn't have said, but uh, recognizing that she was inebriated at the time and maybe not thinking super duper clearly, uh, he, he did look after her. And to Robert's credit, I think that says a lot about him too. The fact that he took her home, uh, somebody who he knows is suffering through heartbreak and is very drunk. And he also is suffering through heartbreak and has had some, some to drink. Uh, he doesn't try anything with Aaron, even though the, the sort of office perception and even audience perception of Robert is that he's kind of a creepy dude. So I think it says something that he didn't try anything creepy with her and he was just being a friend and helping her home. So mm-hmm. so moving on, there's a bit of a Jim and Dwight storyline here as well. So Kathy, Pam's temp, wants to leave Jim and Dwight's desk clump due to their constant pranking. So as an incentive for them to get along, or rather sort of a blackmail situation, If Andy catches either person pranking the other, Andy will give the victim both men's Christmas bonus. This spurs a whole self-pranking circle because both of them want the other person's bonus. So they start pranking themselves to make it look like they are being pranked. Dwight leaves a blank email message up on his computer, ready for Jim to take the bait. Jim reads his credit card information out loud in front of Dwight, who then sends a $200 bouquet of flowers to Pam from Jim awful. 
Dwight would say porcupine in his own desk drawer and who would have access to a porcupine in the office but Dwight and Jim notices that and it's they keep pranking themselves hoping that Andy will give the bonus but he doesn't end up doing it and Andy decides that he's not going to mess with the bonuses it's just causing more problems and Andy says that he'll tell Dwight but Jim volunteers to do it of course he doesn't do it so Dwight just keeps pranking himself all night long which in its own way is a really eloquent prank yeah (laughs) Um, just let the guy prank himself yeah it's really funny i I like all of the porcupine stuff especially where he's like did you get quilled oh and also what's its name (laughs) (laughs) oh henrietta (laughs) okay so it is yours got it the last story thing is another daryl thing he goes down to the warehouse and he invites val and i think this is the first confirmation that we get that val is actually the new warehouse foreman I don't think that had been said straight up before this point. But anyway, she's the foreman. He says the foreman normally comes to the party. And he says, you know, they dress up nice. So sure, come on, come on up. So Val shows up and she dresses up too nice. She's in a long, beautiful purple gown. And she feels super awkward and out of place. And everybody treats her like like it's super awkward and out of place that she's there dressed that way. And seeing how awkward and uncomfortable she feels the rest of the night, Daryl leaves and he returns dressed in a tux. So she's no longer the only one who is overdressed. So that's sweet. We don't know if Val reciprocates, but she does appreciate the gesture of Daryl going and dressing up himself to make her feel better. It feels very much like Jim and Pam's wedding when Pam tears her veil and Jim cuts his tie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the opposite of that. I don't know. But the same. A couple of other things to note. Yes, as you said, we did learn from Kevin that Robert's wife officially left him. And it was that order. She left him. Some Christmas gifts we see given. Oscar gives Kevin a cookie jar shaped like a woman. Meredith gives Jim a pamphlet about vasectomies. (laughs) (laughs) He's had two kids. That's not crazy. Come on. And Ryan gives Angela a bright pink shirt that says, ask, then touch on the stomach because she is pregnant and she loves it. Just as a quick aside, I really like that montage of everybody getting their Christmas gifts, but it's also cut with Aaron getting further drunk and going crazy and further gone in the episode. It's kind of like a bittersweet montage. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go ahead and go into our funny moments. Do you want to cover the cold open this time? Sure. Jim got Stanley Lewis Black tickets for his birthday and he regrets it now. Because Stanley is yelling about how all he wants is plain, regular baby Jesus lying in a major Christmas. He's had enough of the theme Christmases. He doesn't want a Honolulu Christmas, a Pulp Fiction Christmas, a Muslim Christmas, Moroccan Christmas, Morocco Christmas. He says, I don't want a Kwanzaa wreath. I don't need a dreidel in my face. That's its own thing. And who is that Black Santa for? I don't care. I know Santa ain't Black. I could care less. I want Christmas. Christmas is Christmas is Christmas, Christmas. is Christmas. <laughs> she says, yeah, maybe that was a bad idea. <laughs> In the first scene after the credits, Andy is saying, you know, I'm really excited for you all to meet Jessica. And everybody's like, who? I don't know who Jessica is. Andy says, Jim, you tell everybody. And he says, is it your grandmother? <laughs> and Andy says, no, my grandmother's name is Ruth. You should know that. I introduced you on the speakerphone that time. And Creed then eventually asks, hey, what's Ruth's deal, man? (laughs) And Andy's response is totally out of your league. (laughs) And then he goes on, he says, so in summation, ho, 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 please be nice to Jessica. And mistletoe is not an excuse for sexual assault. And don't go near Gam Gam. (laughs) (laughs) 
two gam gams in two two episodes. Two episodes. Yeah. yeah. Robert, trying to be inclusive, I guess, says, um, oh, Merry Christmas, Aaron. Kelly, happy Panchaganapati. Kelly says, ew, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> She's so out of touch with her own culture. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite Robert quotes ever is, he says, oh, the corporate party was wretched. I'm so tired of the Black Eyed Peas. It's rock and roll for people who don't like rock and roll. It's rap for people who don't like rap. It's pop for people who don't like pop. And Ryan, the camera goes over to him. He just like points at Robert, like looks at the camera. Yeah, everything he's saying. Yes. <laughs> and uh, my roommate and I use the Ryan point all the time. When like something pops up that we agree with or something funny happens, just like, yeah, that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that exactly. But yeah, I agree with him. Papa, the Black Eyed Peas are not that great. <laughs> we get a little bit of Nate in this episode, which I oh, always yes. love. Bless him. He <laughs> is amazing. Daryl is inviting Val to the Christmas party upstairs. And Val jokes, isn't that just for popsicles? Daryl doesn't know what she means. Uh, she says, yeah, popsicles. Upstairs people, because you got to stick up your butt. Nate says, ah, see, I, I, I thought it was because they're so rich they could all eat popsicles all the time. <laughs> and then Daryl says, oh, it's nice. It's, it's really nice. People get dressed up. Nate says, I will look so handsome for you, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> so I funny. say that all the time. <laughs> that is so great. <laughs> I, I, I will look so handsome for you. Jim, one of the things that Dwight does to himself to try and get himself pranked so that he gets Jim's Christmas bonus, he has left his wallet full of money on the desk. He's also left his car keys and an open email on his computer to be addressed to and filled out with whatever message Jim wants. And Jim considers everything for a second. Then he turns around. He sees Dwight jumping out of frame, trying to entrap Jim. He says, Dwight really wants my bonus. He's trying to entrap me. Oh, God, now I can't drink this thing. <laughs> and he, he <laughs> clarifies for the camera, I get really pranky when I drink. <laughs> so Robert has been behind the bar all night and um, wants a break. So he puts Oscar in charge and Oscar acts all timid and nervous. He says, I haven't bartended in forever. Never considered myself a mixologist. And then he gets back there and starts flipping bottles and he demands a mortar and pestle and muddler chocolate shavings. <laughs> He's dabbled. Yeah, just a, a little bit. <laughs> when Dwight tries to set Jim up with the porcupine, uh, first off, he says he calls it a bloodthirsty creature. And here is the porcupine actually eating a carrot in the drawer, which I'd never noticed before that the, the porcupine's chowing down on a carrot. Yeah. But Dwight says, who in this office knows that I have access and is trying to set me up? Toby says, you know, this sounds like this sounds a lot like the premise of my latest Chad Flinderman novel, A Murder for Framing. Toby with more awful titles. I don't remember what his previous title was that we heard. Like he had his book that only sold two copies or something like yeah. that. It was a deleted scene again, I think. But he talks about his Chad Flinderman. He says, just an easygoing black guy. He knows the streets, yet he also went to Oxford. So just as comfortable on a motorcycle as he is on Air Force One. Oh, and he's also the world's leading Egyptologist. <laughs> and Angela says, Toby, nobody cares about your sex-crazed black detective. <laughs> and Toby says, no, no, no. Women chase him. He misses his wife. <laughs> it's like this idealized version of himself or it's almost like a Mary Sue type character for a man. I always just think of, dun, dun, Flinders and Files. Flinders and Files. <laughs> <laughs> so Aaron was not the only person at this party who was too drunk to drive. 
Meredith's wish for this Christmas wish was, I guess, to be driven home. Is that right? Yeah. So Andy is driving Meredith back to her house that night as part of her fulfillment. And when he puts, I think it's his bike in the back of her car, all of her stuff spills out and she is frantic. She says, my stuff, it's my valuables. This is my treasures. They're my treasures. (laughs) And Andy says, you're a hoarder, my God. And she says, no, I'm not. I'm going to sell it on eBay. Be careful. Be careful. (laughs) My treasures. Andy tried to get Aaron to slow down, slow her roll on the the drinking. Says, maybe I should make you some oatmeal or something. And Kevin comes out of nowhere and says, I don't want to put you out. But if someone's making oatmeal, I'll take an apple cinnamon and a maple brown sugar in one bowl with whole milk. <laughs> and the scene continues for a bit with Aaron and Andy go back and forth. This is when Aaron says, uh, I wish she was dead. So Andy storms off and Kevin comes up to Aaron and says, Hey, she says, Hey, and they're sitting together. And Kevin says, so there was talk of oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> my other favorite moment. One of my favorite moments from this episode is when Dwight interrupts Christmas time is here, which is playing uh, from the Charlie Brown Christmas special. By smashing a boombox down, he says, this is Christmas. And all of a sudden, it starts playing the Trans-Siberian Orchestra's Last Christmas Eve. And him and Gabe and Creed and Nate are dancing to it and miming instruments along with it. And it sort of scares off uh, Meredith, who's in the room when Dwight first starts. And who else? Kelly, I think, is nearby. And that's when we get the montage of everybody exchanging gifts and Aaron getting further drunk. This is Christmas. (laughs) I don't care who you are. That is a great Christmas song. Yeah, it is. That whole album is really good. <laughs> it's really it good. It's the same one with um, Wizards in Winter. It's the other yeah. big one. And then my last moment is when, first a tiny bit of setup. In the very beginning of the episode, Kelly understands that Aaron still likes Andy and is probably upset that Jessica's going to be there. And she says, hey, if you need me to be mean to her, just let me know. I'll do it. Because I was planning on being mean to her anyways. <laughs> and Aaron says, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. Well, later in the episode, after Aaron has had lots to drink and she has told Andy she wishes Jessica was dead, she says, Kelly, game on. And Kelly says, okay, here we go. And so she like goes into the office immediately, joins in a conversation where everybody's laughing at something Jessica's saying. And she, after a brief moment, says, Jessica, did you just fart? (laughs) And everybody just sort of gives a disgusting face, like, ooh, she farted. (laughs) And Kelly says, and that's how it's done. (laughs) (laughs) Going into our deleted scenes, there are a few more for this episode. Andy just gives a little bit more information on the Christmas wishes. He says, for the past month, I have been collecting wishes from everyone in the office, and I intend to make good on every single one of them. And we don't see everyone's, but Creed asks for money. It looks like it's only a $5 or $10 bill. So Andy just like, oh, well, that's all you want. Here you go. (laughs) So he gets that. Kevin hands over a menu from the Cheesecake Factory, and he has a few things tabbed. He says, this is what I want. (laughs) And Ryan asks for 10 sick days. He says, I'd be satisfied with eight. Andy says, I did you one better. Ryan says, nine. (laughs) Andy says, no, I got you health insurance. But with great perks come great responsibility. He says, I'm going to be expecting a lot more from you. Ryan doesn't look excited by this. He says, no more zoning out in your office. Ryan's just like, oh, yeah, thanks. Wow. Super great. Robert shows up for the Christmas party and is ready to go. He says, okay, where can I get a drink? Andy says, oh, well, we thought we wouldn't put the alcohol out till 11 a.m. It's 
common decency. <laughs> Robert says, par for the course, par for the freaking course. I'll be in the party room having a cookie until 11. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a Robert talking head. Very slow, very contemplative. He says, not destroyed. No, not destructive. Quite off kilter, sure, but that's too vague. <laughs> Erratic. Darkly erratic. That's my mood. <laughs> <laughs> we see uh, Kathy actually move desk clumps. She moves to D- Andy's old desk. Dwight says, oh, it's so great. You're so much closer to the bathroom now. Jim says, I'm sorry that it didn't work out. I hope you find what you've been looking for. <laughs> she says, oh, no, it's just I have more room here now. And they sort of just wave her off. Oh, you know, they know it's beyond that. Gabe, always the suck up, says to Robert that he made an incredible gin and tonic and tips him $20, which is so much. Robert says that Gabe doesn't have to do that, but Gabe insists, you earned it. Is it the gin? Is it the tonic? Or is it the man? Robert says, Gabe, I suspect it is the components because no love went into making that. It is just two fluids carelessly combined, but cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Robert approaches Aaron. We saw in the episode where Aaron was doing impressions of people. We we only saw her do an impression of Stanley, which was pretty funny. Uh, The whole, first I want my sugar-free cookie, and then I want my sugar cookie, and then I want my (laughs) nap. And everybody's amused by it, including Stanley, which is great. Uh, So Robert, in the deleted scene, approaches Aaron and says, hey, why don't you do an impression of me? And she says, you know, I really don't have one of him, of you. He says, come on now, just pretend I'm one of your friends and entertain me. She says, okay. So she goes in. There is no such thing as transgression anymore. What is pornography to one person is Reader's Digest to another. That's why I'm impossible to offend. And he is cracking up. And I think it's like James Spader just laughing at an impression of him. Yeah. (laughs) He he loves it. It is so funny. They're both laughing. And he says, that is very, very good. Do it again. Do something else. (laughs) It's great. Yeah, I love how quick Aaron is to think of that little monologue for Robert because We've seen Aaron super quirky and come off sometimes as, I don't want to say dumb, but... Ditzy? Not ditzy, yeah. And she just pulled that little Reader's Digest thing out of her hat, and that was great. There's an extended CC picture scene, so briefly, one of the pranks. Jim drew over a picture of his daughter as if Dwight drew on it some devil horns and a tail, and it was pretty bad taste. And uh, so there's an extended scene of that. There's a Jim talking head. He says, no, I was just thinking that maybe this picture isn't interesting or relevant. So maybe we don't have to show it or tell Pam or anything. <laughs> He's uh, <laughs> trying to cover up. Maybe, maybe don't tell my wife that I drew on this picture. Meredith brings Robert a slice of cake. He says, you seem a little down. He says, oh, yes, I'm a mess. She says, how about I fix you some warm milk with some bourbon? He says, oh, that sounds nice. Maybe watch a movie under a blanket. He says, lovely. Wait, where is this taking place? She says, the Murphy bed in my basement. He says, what is happening to me? (laughs) (laughs) The lines in your haggard face are paths that lead nowhere. Your hair is the fire of hell. I sincerely hope you find a sexual partner tonight. He says this as he hugs her. And then he steps back and he's, ugh, and he hands her the cake. <laughs> like, I don't want any part of this anymore. <laughs> His insults are incredible. Yeah, they are next level. Your hair is the fire of hell. <laughs> Shakespearean. 
Aaron tells Jim, super loudly because she's very drunk, that a package came for him and offers to put it on his desk. And she just throws it towards his desk across the room and hits Kathy. And Aaron walks away. Kathy turns and it looks like Jim hit her on purpose. So Jim opens the package and it's a tree ornament that Cece made because she heard that there was a tree at work. So he goes and hangs it on the uh, on the tree. Pretty cute. Last one. Dwight is pranking himself from Jim one last time. He says, I've taken this bucket from Jim's garage. I have filled it with everything disgusting except excrement. And just a few of the things we see on the table. It's hard to make out everything, but there's motor oil. Looks like yogurt, maybe expired yogurt. I'm not sure. Maybe salad or salad dressing. He says, I can't wait to see the look on Jim's face when that falls on my face. And he has it propped up on a door in the background. And as he's saying that, Kathy walks through the door. <laughs> and so it dumps on Kathy. Everything bad is happening to Kathy in this episode. And she just stands there in shock and disgust. Like, why is this happening to me? And Dwight turns around and just goes, damn it, Kathy. <laughs> like, you ruined it. And this is the Kathy that was trying to change desk clumps because she was in the middle of their pranks. Yep. And here she is in the middle of their pranks. Yep. There it is. <laughs> you, there's no escape. For our discussion topic this episode, um, at the end of Spooked, we saw that Aaron and Andy presumably talked about some stuff and hugged. We didn't hear what it was, but they seemed as if they'd be okay. But now they're not. What do you think was said in that scene that we didn't hear? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's loaded, but... No, I, I think it's something interesting to consider. I don't know what it was said, but I, I think it probably was something along the lines of, listen, I've moved on. I still appreciate your friendship. I appreciate the times we had. I, I still like you being here in the office with me, but we just have to... We each have to move on. I've moved on. You have to move on, too. And I, I think maybe in the moment, she was like, okay, I can do that. That's fine. But I think also in that moment, she wasn't expecting a short while later for his girlfriend, his serious, super serious girlfriend, to actually be in the office with him either. And so I think whatever mending of the relationship that might have happened at the end of Spooked, it was undone it seems with Jessica's actual appearance here in this episode yeah i agree i think aaron thought she was okay and thought she could be okay and then i don't know you add some alcohol and <laughs> yeah all of a sudden and, and the presence of the girlfriend and all of a sudden you're not okay yeah i mean a lot of the time you don't know how you're going to react to a situation until you're in it and yeah unfortunately she just didn't have the greatest reaction so that brings us to the end of the official 87th episode of an american workplace you can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. You can head on over to Apple Podcasts to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to email some feedback or ideas, you can do so at workplacepod at gmail.com. If you would like to leave a voicemail, we did get a couple voicemails this week that we're going to save for this next episode that we'll record in just a few days. If you would like to leave one, make sure you keep it under a minute long. Make sure you're specific. Make sure you say your name. We want to be able to thank you directly and to feature your name on the show uh but keep it short dial 93 pretz day that is 937-738-9329 if you would like to mention some of your funny moments since we're no longer trying to be exhaustive with our coverage on the funny stuff that happens in the show uh, we'd love to hear what some of your favorites are so call us up leave a voicemail we'd love to hear from you you can find me on twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white 
And the best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. There's also my other podcast, Cinescope, which you can find where other podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And show notes and all contact information can be found at workplacepodcast.com for this show. Much thanks to our newest Patreon supporter, Alvaro. Thank you so much for your uh, continued listenership and now your financial support. If you want a shout out and more of an American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it to you at patreon.com slash workplace pod. And that's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 87 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 88 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season eight, Trivia and Pool Party. Bye. Can you hear that car alarm? I can. It's okay. Uh, okay. It's probably not going to stop anytime soon. Oh, it just did. Hey! Great. Okay. <laughs> Podcast miracle. Yeah, no kidding. There's an extended CC picture scene. So briefly, one of the pranks, Jim drew. It's okay. Thank you. And I'm not going to mention it now or like post record it, but I totally did not mention the fact that i met rain wilson this past weekend <laughs> it's okay it's okay uh we'll we'll mention it in the next one